Andrew Wymack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Dallas Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to John chapter 3. And tonight I want to share something really simple with you. This is so simple that most people miss it. They think it's got to be more complicated than this. You know, just last week, I had a woman come up to me and I was talking about the love of God and the goodness of God. And this is, this is a woman that was probably, I'm guessing, since she's not here, I guess I'm okay to guess. But I think she's around 50 or maybe 60 years old. I don't know. But anyway, she was one of our students. And she came up to me and she says, I, she says when I was a little girl, I was just in love with God. And she said, I had the greatest relationship with God. And then she says, I went to church. And they began to start telling me all the things that I had to do. And she says, man, I just got bogged down. I felt like there was impossible for me to ever please this demanding God. She went out and lived in sin and things. And then she came back to the Lord. And she's been seeking the Lord, but she's never gotten back this joy and this love. And she said, since she's been in Bible school, she's a second year Bible college uh, student. She says, man, I am just in love with God again. She says, it's like I'm a little child again, but, and here is the but. She says, but I keep thinking this is too simple. <laughs> she says, it's got to be more complicated than this. You're just telling me that God loves me and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't make him love me more. I can't love him, make him love me any less. God just loves me. And I said, you got it. And she says, but I feel guilty. She says, it's got to be more complicated. And you know, this is a shame, but this is kind of what a lot of people have really been taught, that it's got to be complicated to really be of God. Yeah. You know, many ministers think that if they don't have some complex way of ministering, and something that's dramatic, that it's not really deep and stuff like that. And I think it's just the opposite. I think that the more simple you can make things, that actually the bigger it Im impact it has. And I think that it, it's religion that has complicated everything and made it so hard. So I'm going to share something with you tonight that on the surface is so simple, some of you are going to dismiss this and think, oh no, I've heard this before. But please, just open up your heart. I believe that God is going to speak something to you tonight that could change your life. I had one of my employees come to me one time, and he had been on drugs. He was, uh, I mean, he was stoned for years and years and years. And finally, he got born again. And when he got born again, he became a fanatic and started seeking God with all of his heart. And he was listening to my tapes and stuff. But he says, man, I've just listened to dozens and dozens of tapes. He says, what is the bottom line? He says, if you just had one opportunity, if you could only minister to people one time, what would you minister on? And you know, that's a hard question because man, I've got lots of things that have changed my life. I think every one of them is important. But I thought about it for a day or two and finally I came up with, with what I'm gonna share with you tonight. If I only had one opportunity to share with people, I think I would share this message right here and again, it's going to sound so simple that you're going to think, well, man, I want something more than that. But look here in John chapter 3, 
and in verse 16. Here's a familiar passage of scripture that we're so familiar with, most of us don't know what it says. It says in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And man, we've heard this verse. Most of us could quote this. If you don't know many verses in the Bible, you could usually quote this one. But did you know most people totally miss what this is about? I think that the church has totally misrepresented and, and, and not taught this scripture properly. Let me tell you what this verse does not say. This verse does not say that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die for our sins so that we would go to heaven instead of going to hell. That is not what this verse says. That's not what this verse is talking about. And the reason some people think that is because it says here that we would not perish but have everlasting life. And a lot of people think that everlasting life is talking about living forever in eternity. Well, that's just going to be one of the aspects of everlasting life. But everlasting life is something that happens here. Look in, the, in verse 38 down here in this same chapter. In verse, or excuse me, it's verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Everlasting life isn't something that starts when you die and go into eternity. Everlasting life is something that you have right now. Also look in chapter 5 and in verse uh, 24. Jesus is speaking. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And there's other passages that say the same thing. Everlasting life is not something that's going to start when you get to heaven. Everlasting life is something that we have right now. And so this changes everything. This isn't saying that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins so that when you die physically, you wouldn't go to hell, but instead you'd go to heaven. That basically is the way that the church has interpreted this and that causes problems. Because for one thing, it says to most people that trusting Jesus, committing your life to Jesus is something you do as a fire insurance policy. It's to avoid hell. It's so that you can go to heaven. But what relevance does it have to this life? The message that the church is preaching as a whole, I'm not against the church, but I'm saying not every church is accurately representing God. And there is a lot of the body of Christ that is talking about that you need to get saved so you won't go to hell. I used to go over on the streets of Fort Worth and pass out tracts that says, repent or else, turn or burn. That's the way I was taught to preach to people. And it was all about heaven and hell. And if you go up, you know, if you go up and say, do you know where you're going? Are you going to go to hell? And if that is the focus of what you're preaching on, you can get people born again because people should be considering this because all of us are in the process of dying. You may not like to hear that, but it's true. I've been to three, well, two funerals and then one of my best friends that I ever had died uh, within the last 10 days. So I've had three people die in the last 10 days. And you know what? If the Lord tarries, every one of us is going to die. You may not like to think about it, but we're all headed that direction unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime. 
And so most people should be thinking about those things, but they aren't. If you say, are you going to heaven or hell? Most people are living in a hell right now. They are either sick in their body, they are having financial problems, relational problems, they're stressed out, they're worried about their job or whatever. And most people are struggling with so many problems right now that they aren't looking down the road and thinking about the future. Now again, they should be, but they aren't. And you know, Jesus, he meant people where they were. Jesus used healing like a bell that drew people to him. He didn't come, you know, I'm trying to stick to my topic here, but <laughs> Jesus didn't talk about heaven very much. He didn't talk about hell very much. He talked about both of them. They do exist. These are Bible truths, but Jesus didn't emphasize those things very much. He talked about having a personal relationship with him right now. He talked about getting your body healed. He talked about finances more than he talked about heaven or hell. Jesus meant people where they were. And you know, today, most people view the church as being for eternity. And before they die, they want to get it straight, but they don't see the relevance to their daily lives. And sadly, most of the church today when the Great Recession hit, they started talking lack, poverty, talking about, man, it's going to be a tough time. I don't know how we're going to make it. And they started struggling financially just the same as the world did. The church as a whole isn't modeling that God is actively involved in our life. To most people, by observation, the church is all about eternity. What does it have to do with here? You know, if, you, if the average sick person went to the average church and says, man, they told me I'm going to die. Would you please pray for me? The average church would say, well, God doesn't do those things today. Or they would say, have you been to the doctor? Have you tried this treatment yet? If you had a financial problem and you go to the church, most of them would say, well, have you tried out getting a loan? Have you been to this uh, government agency? Have you applied for food stamps? Have you done this yet? If you had emotional problems, well, you ought to go see a psychiatrist. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we aren't representing God correctly. Jesus, you know, when the, in the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew, where this man who had a demon-possessed son, he had some kind of a seizure problem, and he would fall on the ground and wallow and foam and fall into the fire and into the water. And he brought this, his son to Jesus' disciples to cast the demons out and they couldn't do it. And when Jesus heard it, what did he say? He didn't say, well, guys, I'm sorry. I was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. I left you by yourself. I shouldn't have expected you to do this. He didn't apologize. He didn't say, oh, well, it's okay. I'm here now. I'll take care of it. Don't you feel bad? You know, our society today, man, we just... Go out of our way so that nobody is responsible for anybody. Nobody does messes up. There is no such thing as failure. We don't have sports where you win and lose because, you know, somebody might feel bad. Jesus wasn't one of those politically correct guys. You know what he said when his disciples couldn't cast out the devils? He says, you faithless and perverse generation. How long am I going to be here? I want you to do this. You should be casting these demons out. He was not pleased at his body's inability to represent him properly. And I tell you, if Jesus was here in his physical body, 
You may or may not believe this, but I believe that Jesus is speaking through me tonight and the Lord is not pleased with the church sending people to the medical profession, sending them to the bankers, sending them to the psychologist, sending them to the government to get their needs met. I'm not against any of these things. If it wasn't for doctors, all of the Christians would be dead. So I'm not against doctors. But I'm saying that, you know what? We, if we were seeing the blind eyes open like we've been testifying about, if we were seeing the dead rays like this DVD shows, and if these things were happening, they'd be cutting holes into the roof to let the sick down in our midst today. But the church isn't accurately representing God. And you know one of the reasons why? Because they're saying the reason Jesus came and died for your sins was so that you wouldn't go to hell. And I'm telling you, that is not the main reason. That's a big reason. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. Amen. Going to heaven is a lot better than going to hell. I'm all for it. I'm, I'm not saying that that is not something that we share and not something that we promote. But Jesus came to give us everlasting life. Yes, Lord. And everlasting life is not something that starts in eternity. It's something that you have right now. Let me say it this way, that the goal of salvation is not to get your sins forgiven. Now you're gonna have to listen to me for a minute because some of you are gonna just think I'm speaking heresy, but listen to what I've got to say and this could change your life. The goal of salvation isn't to get your sins forgiven. It's to have everlasting life, which I've already said is not living forever. I'm going to define this in just a moment. But the goal wasn't to get your sins forgiven. The goal was to have everlasting life. But sins were like a barrier that stood between us and everlasting life. And we couldn't get there as long as we were sinful and did not have our sins forgiven. So Jesus did die for our sins. He paid for our sins and removed them, but he removed them so that we could enter into this everlasting life. And if you aren't experiencing everlasting life, then you have missed the goal of salvation even if heaven is a surety for you. Even if you're on your way to heaven, you have missed the whole purpose, the purpose of Jesus coming. He loved the world so much that he gave Jesus for our sins that we might not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life is why he sent his son, not just to get your sins forgiven. So let me define everlasting life for you over here in John chapter 17. This is Jesus speaking. He's called the author of eternal life. And so here is the author of eternal life defining it for us. This is like if you were to look this up in a dictionary and say, what is eternal life? Here is the definition right here in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying a prayer the night before his crucifixion. And in, um, let's just start reading with verse one. He says, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And look in verse three. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. 
Eternal life is not living forever. That is one of the benefits of eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. And some people think that's it. Well, I know God. Man, I thought it was something more than that. This isn't talking about just a mental understanding of God. You know, in the Bible, the word know, it says over in Genesis chapter 4, it says Adam knew his wife Eve and that she conceived and had a child. And it's talking about the most intimate, close, personal relationship that a man and woman can have, talking about having a child. It's talking about knowing experientially. And so when it says here that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, this isn't just talking about knowing that God exists, knowing some things about Him, having somebody tell you something about God. Eternal life is knowing God in an intimate, close, personal way and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. This is what eternal life is all about. It's about relationship with God. And so plug all of this back into John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, you are missing eternal life. I don't care if you are born again and on your way to heaven, you are missing the whole goal of salvation. The goal of salvation, it wasn't just a God who felt responsible for us as creator and he saw the mess that we had made and so he felt some kind of responsibility and he just sent Jesus to take care of this mess so that they wouldn't all go to hell but the ones that would accept could go to heaven. No, he longed to have a relationship. He created man for fellowship. Over in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it talks about what they're saying in heaven right now. This is going on 24 hours a day is what Revelation chapter 4 is saying. And here's what they're saying. Thou art worthy, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. I misquoted that. Have you got it up here? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The statement here is really important because it says they were and they are. In other words, this was the original purpose of creating all things, and it still is the purpose of having all things created. You and I are part of those all things. We were created for His pleasure. God wanted relationship. God wanted somebody to love, to shower love upon. You know, it's very similar to a parent. You have a child. Man, you just love that child. You love to love somebody. The Bible says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. What would it be like if you were just full of love and didn't have anybody to show it to, to express it to? God is love, and therefore He had to have somebody to express this love to. So He created us originally so that He could have a person to love. You know, here's God who created the entire universe. He's bound to have other things to do. And yet He met with Adam and Eve every day in the cool of the garden and He walked and talked with them. Many of us don't 
understand this. Again, our religion has distanced us from God and made God this holy, detached, uh, demanding, hard to please God. Now he definitely is holy, but because he put, placed all of his wrath and his demands for justice upon Jesus, he is a God of love and he is passionate about you. God wants relationship with you. He doesn't want you to just get your sins forgiven and then get saved and stuck so that when you die, you'll go to heaven and you just do the best you can down here. God sent Jesus to bring you into a close, intimate, personal relationship with Him. That is the goal of salvation. And it's going to be completed when we get to heaven. We're going to know all things, even as also we're known. We aren't going to have the same limitations. It may go to another level, but I can guarantee you right now, God wants to be your very best friend. This is the purpose of salvation. This is why He sent Jesus, is to bring you into closeness, intimacy with Him. And if you have prayed the prayer and if you believe that your sins are forgiven and if you have an assurance that you aren't going to hell, but if Jesus isn't your best friend, if you can't talk to Him and hear Him talk to you and have Him lead you, and if you don't love Him more than you love your mate, more than you love your children, more than you love your job, more than you love anything else, you are missing the point of salvation. It doesn't just take place when we all get to heaven. Right now, Jesus died so that we could have everlasting life right now. And I tell you, because the church has not been emphasizing the personal relationship, they've been saying, believe on Jesus so you won't go to hell. Well, anybody with half a brain is going to sit there and, and pray the prayer because who wants to go to hell? And so they will go ahead and pray the prayer and they may or may not be saved. I'm not the judge, but I'm saying I can guarantee you by looking at them that the vast majority don't have a closeness with the Lord. They don't really enjoy His pleasure. You know, there's just so many things I could say right here. But man, I have felt the pleasure of the Lord. I have felt God loving me. There is nothing on the earth that compares with that. There is nothing that compares with that. You know, I ministered to a woman. I can't remember if it was tonight or last night. But anyway, I, I prayed with a woman and I just stopped in the middle of praying for her and I said, God wants me to tell you that He loves you. He's thrilled with you. He's excited because you love Him and you just spend time with Him and God wants me to let you know that He loves you. And this woman just started crying. You know what, most people wouldn't even receive something like that. I remember Jamie and I used to go to Catherine Kuhlman's meetings here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area a long time ago and we were ushers in those uh, meetings. And I remember after one meeting, I think it was over in Fort Worth, that we just were so in the presence of God. We were so awed by the miracles that we had seen that we just sat there. The entire auditorium left. And Jamie and I were just sitting there. It was like, man, how can people just leave after seeing blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people coming out of wheelchairs, miracles. We were just basking in the presence of God. And I remember just thinking, God, this is awesome. 
And uh, it was a number of years after that that I was in Omaha, Nebraska, and I had held a meeting, and there were people that when I got up and left, they were just sitting there, the exact same way that Jamie and I were. They were so blessed to be in the presence of God and to see miracles and see people's lives changed and stuff. And as I left, I was driving back to the hotel and I got to thinking, God, it is awesome to see you using me to impact somebody's life the way that I was impacted so many years ago. And I was just thanking him. And as I was driving along and saying, thank you, Jesus, and praising him, God said, well, thank you, Andrew. And you know what? There's some of you that would say, I don't believe that was God. God would never thank you. He would say, you sorry thing. You could have done it better. I know how you think because I've been there. I've thought all of those kind of things. But I'm telling you, if you would allow him, God will become your best friend. God will talk to you. You know, you can't get around Pastor Bob Nichols without this man saying, is there something I can do for you? This man's one of the kindest guys. He just always is blessing people. You know where that comes from? That is not Bob Nichols. That's God living through this man. God is a kind God. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about God's kind of love suffereth long and is kind. Did you know that God is love? God is kind. If you would allow him, God would tell you that, man, I think you look good today. <laughs> He'll say nice things to you. He'll give you compliments. Most of you, if something like that happened, you'd rebuke it. <laughs> you'd say, man, that's not God. You know, I had an instance happen over in Garland. I used to drive from Arlington to Garland to go to church. And anyway, when I went over there, there's this family, because it was a, uh, you know, an hour and something drive, this is... Uh, back before we had all the freeways we got today. So it was over an hour and something drive. And so when we went over there on Sunday, they would invite me over to their house and I'd spend the day with them on Sunday and then go to church Sunday night. And um, anyway, their daughter was not a Christian. She hated Christians. And I think she hated me more than any other Christian. She just did not like me, hated me, didn't want to be around me. So every time I went over on Sunday, she was just gone. So anyway, one Sunday, I was really tired. I forgot why. And they said, just go up and take a nap in her bed. And so I said, well, you know, she may not want it. They said, it's okay. Just go up there. So anyway, I went up and I went, I was laying on her bed and I was taking a nap on a Sunday afternoon. And I was, I mean, I was out and the door opened. And when it did, I just bolted awake. And yet... I laid still because I thought, I bet it's this girl coming in. She doesn't want to see me. I didn't want to see her. And uh, so I just laid there and acted like I was asleep. And I heard them come in and they walked all around the room. They opened up a closet door. They opened up a drawer. I figured she was getting something and then she was going to sneak out. And so I just played possum and act like I was asleep. And anyway, this girl walked all around and then she walked over and she stood right next to the bed. I could hear her breathing. And I was afraid to open up my eyes then. And she stood there for a while and then she sat down on the bed. I could feel the weight on the bed and she shifted and put her arm across me, leaned over me and kissed me right on the lips. 
And when that happened, I opened up my eyes. And you know what? Nobody was there. There was nobody in that room. And man, I sat up and I looked around and I thought, what is going on? And my first thought was, that was the Lord. And then I thought, no, that wouldn't have been the Lord. If it had been the Lord, he'd have come in and slapped me and he said, why aren't you studying or why aren't you praying or something? You're taking a nap. And, and I immediately started, you know, getting condemned, thinking God wouldn't do something like that for me. And then the Lord spoke to him and he says, if I loved you enough to die for you, don't you think I'd love you enough to kiss you? But brothers and sisters, there's many of you, you know, the scripture says in Psalms chapter 35, verse 27, let God be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. You have to let God be magnified. You have to let, God won't force anything on you. God will not do anything to you that you would be offended by. I don't know if you've ever been around people, but there are some people that are just touchers and huggers. And I mean, they kiss and they do all this kind of stuff. And then there's other people that man put off by that. And you know, I go over to uh, France and they kiss you on both cheeks. I was in a meeting right over here in Seagoville. And I mean, they kissed you all over. And um, some people just have different standards. And so, you know what? I have to sometimes adjust because I spend time in France and you get used to kissing everybody and then you come back here and that doesn't fly over here. It's not the same thing. And anyway, I've just learned that you know what? If you're one of those that you have to stand off and no touching and stuff, well then I'll be what you want me to be. If you're a hugger, man, I love hugging. If you kiss, I'll kiss you. Amen. No problem with me. I kind of like it. But what I'm saying is, you know what? I adjust to people. There are some people that would be highly offended if you just go up and hug them and kiss them and do all these kind of things. And so you kind of have to deal with people where they are. God is like that. If you're one of these that you would never believe that God had ever hug you or love you or kiss you or give you a compliment, He won't. It's according to your faith. You have to let God be magnified. You have to open yourself up to this. You have to seek intimacy with the Lord. And most of us have been taught that this, this isn't available. Most of us have this sense of unworthiness. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. God, I'm just eating the crumbs that fall from your table. And this is the way that we've been taught through religion to approach God. It is true that in yourself, by yourself, you do not deserve any of the things of God. And I agree with that 100%. But God loves you in spite of all of this stuff. And because of that, He is passionate about you. He sent Jesus to die to bring you into an intimacy with Him. And man, you need to take advantage of it. You don't deserve it. It is totally by the grace of God, but it is available to you and you need to take full advantage of it. And I promise you, if we were walking in an intimacy, in a closeness with the Lord, did you know that stress would cease to exist? Your insecurities would cease to exist. You getting offended and hurt by people, nobody could hurt you. 
Some of you right now thinking, well, man, that's not true. It is true. Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was able to turn around and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He loved the very people who had blindfolded him, spit in his face, put a crown of thorns on him, had yelled at him, if you're the Christ, come down. And he said, Father, forgive them. That's the way that God's kind of love is. And if you have that love, you can open up your heart and you can, you can have a relationship with God on a level that very, very, very few people even believe is possible, much less something that we should pursue. You know, I was raised in a church over here that we used to sing this song, My Hands Were Made to Help My Neighbor. My eyes were made to read God's Word. My feet were made to walk in His footsteps. I was born to serve the Lord. And there's truth to that, that everything about us should be serving the Lord. But the way that I took that, I believe the way most people took it, was that we are just here to serve the Lord. We are here to do all of these things and... And the way that you love the Lord and have a relationship with Him is by doing something. I was a human doing, not a human being. It was all about doing something. They used to preach, do a work for God. Do a work for God. Go out and do something. You got to get somebody born again. You got to get somebody healed. You got to do something. If you aren't doing something for God, then you're a stink in the nostril of God. And I tell you what, I was doing everything that I knew I was wearing myself out trying to do. But I didn't know God. I was born again, but I didn't have an intimacy with Him. I didn't have a relationship with Him. I heard a man one time preaching and saying, if, the, if uh, God wanted to just bless you, then the moment you got born again, you'd die and go to heaven. Because that's when you're going to really be blessed. The only, he said, the only reason for your existence here on this earth, the only reason you're breathing is to lead somebody else to the Lord. Now again, am I saying that we shouldn't lead other people to the Lord? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that's not the only reason for my existence. For instance, think about Adam and Eve. What was the reason for their existence before sin entered into the world? Think about this. They didn't have clothes to believe for. They didn't have houses to pray over. They didn't have to rebuke the weather. They didn't have to pray over the economy. They didn't have to pray for kings and those that were in authority. They didn't have to pray for healing. They didn't pray for the lost. They weren't interceding for revival and begging God to pour out His Spirit. What did Adam and Eve have to do? What was their purpose for existence? If the sole purpose of our existence is to do something and lead somebody else to the Lord, what was the purpose of Adam and Eve's existence? It was for his pleasure, Romans chapter 4, verse 11. It was for relationship with God. God meant with them and God loved them. He, lo he created all of these things. He created all of these animals and brought them to Adam to see what Adam would call them. I believe he was excited. He wanted to see how Adam would respond to all of these animals. I believe that when he made the duck-billed platypus... Adam probably said something like, God, it looked like you just had all of these parts left over and you just put them all into one animal. I bet you God got a kick out of hearing Adam respond to all of these different animals and everything. They were just fellowshipping with the Lord. 
That was the purpose of their existence. Now we do live in a fallen world, and so yes, we've got a responsibility to tell people and to witness to people. I'm not saying we don't do that, but I'm saying that it's relationship with God that we were created for first and foremost. And if you would enter into an intimate, close relationship with the Lord, you'd find out that you would be a much better witness. You would draw millions of more people by, by honey than you ever would by vinegar. Man, if we were just going around excited about the Lord and, and fellowshipping with the Lord, it would change everything. You wouldn't be offended. I know some of you think that that's not so, but it is so. You know, I'm not a perfect example. I haven't obtained, I still need to have a much greater relationship with God than what I do. But I have experienced intimacy with God. I do know that God loves me. And... I have, I have seen people come out against me and do some of the meanest, rottenest things to me and accuse me of lying, stealing, committing adultery, being, doing dope and all kinds of things. And you know what? Honestly, I just forgot it. I forgot that they were saying these things about me. Next time I saw them, I just went up and hugged them. And people think, what's wrong with you? It's just the fact that God loves me. And because of that, it just really doesn't matter much what you think. I am so excited about God loving me that if you come up tonight and say, I hated that message. I think you are the sorriest minister I've ever heard. You know what? That's not going to bless me, but it's not going to keep me up tonight. Because you just aren't that important. Once you fall in love with God and you visit and fellowship with God, everybody else is not that big of a deal. There are some of you that just get overwhelmed. You're around. We had a guy give a testimony uh, this last Sunday in church and he was talking about the, um, I forgot the football coach of what was it, OU or something like that. Anyway, some, some famous football coach. And... Uh, he was talking about seeing him in an airport and he went up and he just got tongue-tied and didn't know what to say. You know what? That's because that person was so important to him. But if you're fellowshipping with God Almighty and talking with him, you know what? The President of the United States, whoever it is that you think is awesome, they're nobody in comparison. And it just shrinks everything down. And then if those people don't like you, you think, what's their problem? Because you're, you're satisfied. God loves you. Who cares? I had a guy come up one time and just criticize me and Jamie and I just stopped him right in the middle. And I said, hey, who, who died and made you God? <laughs> he looked at me like, what are you? I said, I don't care what you think. And he was, a, well, what, you ought to. And I said, why? You're nobody. <laughs> I said, why do I care what you think? Boy, he just got mad and walked off, but... I know some, you know, the only person that'll ever let you down are the ones that you lean on. And if the only person you lean on is the everlasting arms, if you're leaning on Jesus and if you're in fellowship with him, people could come up and spit in your face, slap you on one cheek and you turn the other because you know that God loves you. I'm telling you the reason some of you have such a chip on your shoulder and the reason you get upset so much and the reason somebody can cut you off in traffic and you just get angry and mad and say things or wave at them with one finger or whatever it is that you do. 
You sit there and think, well, it's just traffic. No, it's the fact that you aren't in intimacy and close relationship with God. If you are just basking in the presence of God, who cares if somebody cuts you off? Who cares if you get stopped in traffic? You ought to be looking at it as, praise God, I wasn't the one that got in the wreck. Amen. <laughs> and there is a positive way to look at everything. But you know what? I'm... I'm just telling you that most of us aren't having this intimacy with God and because of it, we're cracking under the pressure. When I was in the sixth grade over here in Arlington, Texas, my sixth grade teacher did this experiment where they took a one gallon gas can and put it on a Bunsen burner and they heated it up, got it real hot and then he put the cap on it real quick and took it off and set it on his desk. And I was sitting on the front row right in front of this thing. And he just went about teaching. And as that thing cooled off, he was illustrating that, you know, hot air expands and occupies a larger volume than, than cold air. And so that thing, when he put the lid on, it was full of air. But as it cooled, it, it contracted and it formed a partial vacuum inside of that can. And I, I remember as a sixth grader sitting there watching this and this can begin to pop and crack and it just crushed like somebody was hitting it with a hammer and the thing actually bent in two and fell off the desk right in front of me and nobody touched it. It was just the normal atmospheric pressure that was compressing that thing. And it was the vacuum inside that was the problem. If it would have had the normal atmospheric pressure on the inside, it would have been able to withstand this. But it was because there was a vacuum inside that allowed it to be crushed. If you are being overwhelmed, if you're stressed out by stuff, it's not the pressures. It's not that things are worse today than they've ever been. People will sit there and say, well, nobody's had to deal with traffic the way we had. Nobody's had to deal with... The, and." Man, no, they only had to deal with World War II. They only had to deal with sitting there and working 12 and 15 hours a day to barely eke out a living and go through the Dust Bowl and through the Great Depression and all this kind of stuff. I'm telling you, nothing is any worse today than it ever was. The difference is there is a vacuum inside of most people that they get crushed by just normal daily living. It's not that things are worse. There is a vacuum. People are not into relationship. Man, they're on their iPads and their phones all of the time and they're doing all of these things, but they aren't interacting. They don't have relationships with people and they don't have a relationship with God. We are getting more and more and more distance. And I'm telling you, there's something on the inside of every person that only God can fill. And this is what God made us for, was for relationship. This is why He sent Jesus, is to bring you into a close, intimate, personal relationship. And if you would do that, and you would go to experiencing the love of God, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says that faith works by love. Man, your faith would go through the roof if you ever understood how much God loved you. You wouldn't have to sit there and psych yourself up and just do things to build yourself up and make things happen. Man, you could rest in the Lord and you would just naturally believe God. It's like a little kid, you know, that you say in the pool, jump to me. And they know that they could drown, but, they, but the dad said jump. And they'll jump because they have a relationship with you. But you have somebody else that they don't have a relationship, that they don't trust, they won't do it. It's scary. Why would they do it? 
reason many of us have trouble trusting God and believing is because we don't have an intimate relationship. We're trying to do it just out of our mental. We're forcing ourselves to go through the motions instead of having this closeness with God. I'm telling you, this is what Jesus came for is to bring you into intimacy with Him. And it starts right now. The moment you get born again, He wants to talk to you. He wants to love on you. He wants to encourage you when you're discouraged. You don't have to go somewhere else. You don't have to drown yourself in some kind of a substance or take a pill or turn on a set and try and avoid it and escape it or do something. It ought, you ought to run to the Lord. It ought to all be satisfied. Every need that we have should be satisfied through personal relationship with God. This is what God sent Jesus to do is to bring us back into relationship with Him. And this is the reason that the first century church in 30 years' time evangelized the known world. I mean, the, the known world was touched within 30 years. Alexandria in Egypt was over 30% born-again Christians within 30 years of Jesus' resurrection. And you know why? Because the Christians had a relationship with God. They didn't have television. They didn't have radio. They didn't have CDs. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have mass meetings. But they had a relationship with God that most Christians today don't have. If you were to take the average Christian, if they were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict them. Most Christians are as sick as their lost neighbors. They're as bothered by the economy. They're as bothered about things as the people that don't know God. They get stressed out. They get angry. They get bitter. They're on the same medications. There's just not much difference because not very many people are taking advantage of what Jesus came to bring us. They're just saved and stuck singing when we all get to heaven. What a day that's going to be but they aren't experiencing God in this life. And that's the reason that we aren't making as big an impact on our society as the first century church did. You know, when I was 18, I went to Rome and I remember going through the catacombs and I, I went through the um, Circus Maximus and the Colosseum where they put Christians to death. And I, this was back, you know, in uh, 68. And I went and just sat in that Colosseum till 12 and 1 o'clock at night. Nowadays, you couldn't do that. If you did it, you'd probably be mugged or something. But I just used to sit there for hours and I would look and think about things. And I remember going through the catacombs and they had inscriptions that had been translated into all of these languages. And I read one and it said, Here lies my wife and six-month-old daughter who gave their life today and it gave the date for the glory of Jesus in the Circus Maximus. They were put to death and this man was proud of it that they stood and gave their life. Did you know there's not very many people that do that today because they don't have that depth of relationship. It's actually a historical fact. When we were there they showed us that the Christians would push each other out of the way and fight to see who got to go out and be fed to the lions are put on a stake and crucified because the scripture says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And the saints would experience so much joy and peace 
as they were being burned to death, that they would just glorify God. They would see Jesus coming. And there was so much peace and there was so much joy in their life. One of the reasons they quit doing that, Nero literally stuck his fingers in his ear and said, why do these Christians sing as they die? And, and it's a documented fact that for every Christian that died, as many as seven Romans would jump out of the stands and run out there and immediately be put to death. But they wanted what these people who were dying had. They had a relationship that was contagious. They didn't have bumper stickers that they put on every camel going across the desert. <laughs> they didn't have tracks. The only tracks anybody's interested in seeing are yours. They didn't have things that there's nothing wrong with any of these things in their place, but they had a relationship and because of it, they were transforming people and it literally went around the world. It grew exponentially because of relationship. This is what people are hungry for is relationship, not doctrine, not somebody preaching at them, not somebody rebuking them over what they're doing. If they could find people that had a relationship with God that was excited, that God talked to them, that God was real to them, they'd want what you have. If you'd catch on fire for God, the world come watch you burn. This is what the world is looking for. And sadly, this is not the message of the church. The message of the church is turn or burn. Repent or else. Believe on Jesus so you won't go to hell. But man, it's not preaching intimacy. It's not telling people that they can have an intimate relationship with God, that God can talk to you. He can be real to you. This is what people want. This is what people right here in this room want. And you may not even have known it. You may not have even known that this is available. Again, most of us have just been taught that you've got to be used. You know, I married Jamie because I love Jamie. And I want to be with Jamie. I remember when I proposed to her, I said, I'd like you to share the rest of my life with me. And the fact that she cleans the house, she's a good cook. She cleans the house. She washes my clothes. And those things are nice. Man, I've, if she wasn't around, I'd probably just wear wrinkled clothes. I don't know. But anyway, she does a lot of things that make our marriage good. But you know what? I didn't marry her for those things. I married her because I wanted a relationship with her. And the fact that she does these things, it just is like icing on the cake. But if she ever got to where she was more concerned about her house and her clothes and these things than she is about me, the very things that bless me right now would be something that I'd be jealous of. I'd be angry about it. I want relationship with Jamie, not what she can do. I could have hired a maid. I can hire a cook. I can microwave something. I can go buy something. I want relationship with Jamie. Yep. Jesus wants relationship with you. And if he ever gets relationship with you, I guarantee he'll get your service. You'll serve him more accidentally than you've ever served him on purpose if you fall in love with Jesus and start experiencing his love. 
You know, I've got a lot more. I've got three or four more hours of teaching than I've got on this very thing. But I'm, you know, the heart can't absorb more than your seat can endure. So I'm going to have to let you go. But let me just give this one last example that this is many years ago. This is when I was only on radio and this is probably 20 or 30 years ago. But I had a woman in Huntsville prison listen to me on the radio preach on this very thing. And she was on death row. She had murdered somebody. I don't know all of the details. But anyway, she wrote this letter. It's about a three or four page letter. And this is back, you know, before they had computers or something like this. This is handwritten. You could tell that this woman had cried. It was tear stained. The ink had run. And this woman had heard me on the radio preaching on this exact same thing on death row. And she wrote me this letter. And she had just made a total mess of her life. She had, of course, killed another person, had ruined their family, and her own family rejected her, or her husband and children. And she, when she was in prison, she got born again, and she was now born again, but she was feeling like a total waste. She was in solitary confinement, and I forgot all of the details, but it was 20 years or something, you know, until maybe she'd be executed. And... Uh, she was just totally depressed and she said she spent all day every day saying, God, what's the point of me living? And she was just asking God to kill her and take her home. Because she says, I've, I've heard all of these people and now I'm a drain on society. They're having to pay money to keep me alive. She says I'd be much better off to just die. She couldn't even talk to anybody because she was in solitary confinement. She heard me on the radio preaching on this very thing and boy, a light came on and she said, Jesus, you saved me so that you could have fellowship with me so that I could know you. And she wrote this letter and she was just praising God and she says, now I've got a reason for living. She says, now I don't care if they keep me in here forever. I don't care if they put me to death. She says, I can bless God. I can minister unto God. And she was happy and she says, I am happier than I've ever been in my life. This woman was freer than most people sitting in this room because she was in fellowship with God, experiencing His pleasure and His love and His presence in a cell waiting to be executed. And she was totally free. There are many of us that are free by the world standard and yet we're bound on the inside because we don't have this intimacy with God. I'm telling you, this is what life is all about. This is what you were created for. is to fellowship with God and to know God. And I'm telling you, God wants to love you and be your best friend more than you want Him to be your best friend. But you have to let God be magnified. You have to let God do this. And sadly, this is... It's not even on the radar of most Christians. It's never been presented that this is the goal of salvation. Maybe some people, some preacher or some person might have some kind of an intimacy with God, but just the average Christian, you can't do this. I'm telling you, this is normal Christianity. This is what salvation is all about. This is eternal life, is knowing God. When the scripture says, bless the Lord, this is what it's talking about. You don't say, bless the Lord. But you tell Him how much you love Him. And that blesses God. And He blesses you back. I said that was my last story, but here's another story. This is really good. This will be my last story, maybe. 
You know, Paul said this. He said, finally, brethren, and preached two more chapters. <laughs> but I took my kids out when they were like four and six, and I took them horseback riding. They each took a friend from the neighborhood, and we went horseback riding all day long. We ate junk food. We played in the creek. We got filthy, dirty. All of the stuff that if Jamie was with us, she wouldn't have wanted them to do. And I mean, we just had an awesome time. And so anyway, at the end of the day, we, you know, uh, gave them their baths and stuff. We had our devotions. We prayed with them. And I was leading, leaving Peter's room, my youngest son. He was only four or five. And as I turned out the light, he said, Dad? I said, yes. He says, you're a good dad. And you know, when he said that, man, it blessed me. He didn't go, bless you, dad. <laughs> He just said, you're a good dad. And you know what? It blessed me. When the Bible says, bless the Lord, most of us will go, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. That may or may not bless the Lord. <laughs> bless the Lord just means you tell him how much you love him. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. And when you do that, it blesses God. And I guarantee you, God will never let you out. Him. Just like when Peter did that to me, I wanted to drag him out of bed and go back and do all of the horse stuff over again just so that I could hear him say, you're a good dad. And did you know since then, I have told the Lord thousands and thousands of times, God, you're a good God. And I believe it makes God's heart go pitter-patter when I tell him that I love him and appreciate what he's done. And I know that there's some of you, no, God would never respond that way to you. Well, then you'd have a hard time believing that God would become a man and die for your sins. I'm telling you, God loves us that much. But we need to recognize this is the point of salvation. This is what Jesus died to do. He wants you more than He wants what you can do for Him. And if you're substituting service or money or whatever instead of giving Him your heart, that doesn't bless God. He still loves you but it doesn't bless him. Man, God inhabits the praises of his people. God loves you. And if you would just take what I've talked about tonight and go out and say, Father, I want to know you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to hear you tell me that you thank me for doing something. I'd love to experience you. Just, I'd love to just feel total pleasure that God is totally pleased with me. If you would open up and start seeking that, I guarantee you God would love to reveal Himself to you, but He's not going to force Himself upon you. He is not. You know, it would be intrusive. God's not like that. You have to invite Him. You have to open up. You have to desire this. God will be to you the way you see Him to be. And if you think He's a mean, harsh, demanding God then you know what? He'll be distant to you because it would be offensive to you. You'd wind up rebuking him if he was to say some of the things to you that he said to me. But if you start desiring it and looking for these things, God will reveal himself to you and you can experience God in a way and that will change your life. This is what happened to me March the 23rd, 1968. And when that happened, I have never gotten over it. I got caught up in the presence of God for four and a half months. I was gone someplace. God loved me, and I've never gotten over it. It'll be 46 years this coming March, and I have never gotten over it. It has transformed my life. 
And I'm telling you, God wants to reveal His love to every one of us, but we have to open up our heart and be ready to receive it. You know, if you don't know Jesus tonight, if for some reason a fanatic drug you here against your will and you do not know Jesus, I'm telling you, He loves you. He's not just, you know, offering salvation out of a debt or an obligation to you as your Creator. He does it because He loves you. And He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. If you don't know Jesus tonight, you can. You can receive Him and you can be born again. It's as simple as Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. He's already done everything. You just have to make Him your Lord. That doesn't mean that you're promising you'll never make a mistake because you can't keep that promise. But you are saying that I'm turning my life over to you. I want to know you. I want this intimacy with you. And if you will mean that and confess Him as your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then once you get saved, you know the scripture says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5 I believe it is, it says that the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. And this is what happened to me in 1968. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I mean I was overwhelmed in love. Charles Finney said it was like waves of liquid love flowing over him. And I guarantee it was something similar to that. I, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is where God pours out His love in your life. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it includes a lot of things, but it includes speaking in tongues. And I know that there's probably some of you that don't realize that I'm one of those tongue talkers because I don't act like them on television. I'm not the same. I don't scream and yell and spit and do all those things and have a handkerchief wiping my sweaty brow and say glory to God. And so some of you didn't realize what you were getting into. But I tell you what, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, it absolutely changed my life. You need that. The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto you. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are going to struggle and struggle and struggle to have this intimacy with God. That is the function of the Holy Spirit, is to glorify Jesus and reveal Jesus to you. So every person in here needs those two things for sure. You need to be born again. You need to turn your life over to Jesus and make Him your Lord. And then once you do that, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And I know that there's some people thinking, well, man, I, they don't preach that stuff in my church. Well, that's the reason I'm not in your church. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's true. It's real. It changed my life. How many of you in here have already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? See, whether you know it or not, you're in one of these tongue-talking meetings. <laughs> so they're going to talk about you. They're going to criticize you. You might as well get something for it. Amen. <laughs> You know, if you don't know Jesus and you would like to make Him your Lord and receive Him as your Savior and receive this salvation, this opportunity for eternal life, or if you've already been born again, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues and you'd like to receive, I'd like you to raise your hand and I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive. Wherever you are, just raise your hand if this is you. You know, if you don't speak in tongues, you should have your hand up. 
Somebody's saying, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to pray for you and give you a free book. I haven't got anything for you to join. I'm not going to do anything weird to you. I'm just going to pray for you. Somebody says, well, what if, I, what if I go down there and nothing happens? I can guarantee you if you don't come down here, nothing's going to happen. You got nothing to lose. You got a free book to gain, amen. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, would you just get up out of your seat and come right down here and we want to pray with you and help you to receive. Come forward right now. Let's praise God for all of these. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.